All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. I'll be sliding down, I'll be gliding down, try not to try too hard, it's just a lovely ride. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome back to the second hour of Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor. Again, I want to thank each of you for listening, making this the number one show on the Voice America Business Channel. Uh, Of course, I want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable for the second hour of today's show our sponsors are Merrick's Gold, Visible Gold Mines, Lucky Strike Resources, RX Gold, Inc., and Legend Gold Corp. Well, Ian, uh, when we went to the break, we were talking about gold, gold, and more gold, and gold is certainly where I think you need to be. Uh, investors need to be. Most Americans, are, as we said, are, and probably most Canadians are oblivious to it. Chinese people understand it better. People in other parts of the world that haven't had they haven't had smooth sailing economically and politically for many years, understand gold uh, like in a way that we don't. But let's turn a little bit to the major markets, Ian. I know when we spoke earlier today before the show, you mentioned that you are probably more bearish than you've been on the general equity markets. Explain that to us. Uh, well, in essence, the, the big bull market that ran from 1982 topped out in the year 2000. And since that time, we essentially entered what I would call a secular bear market, in which you'll have you know cyclical bull markets and bear markets. But uh, for the most part, the, the stock market today is the same price level it was back in 1998. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've more recently put in a lower high relative to the high that we had in uh, in 2007, and have rolled over in the past in the past month. Uh, you know where we've had four consecutive down months on the S and P 500 as an example. And uh, for years, I've given speeches about the fact that cyclical bear markets within secular bear markets tend to cut a lot deeper, both in terms of percentage decline and the uh, uh, length of time of duration. And just using a, a median model of the of the 22 secular or cyclical bears since 1900, uh, just on that median model, they would say that the Dow is going to be headed down to something in the area of 8,200 mm-hmm. uh, by next August. Mm-hmm. What's unusual on this is that you know this year is a pre-election year, which has traditionally been the strongest year of the presidential cycle. And, in fact, I think it's going to become the first negative pre-election year since 1939. Mm. And election years tend to get, uh, are, are not as bullish uh, as, as, the, uh, you know, as, the, uh, as the pre-election year. But, in essence, I think the stock market is headed to new lows to go back and at least probe the March of '09 lows between now and next year's presidential election. Mm. Now, a lot of people assume that the political process will be throwing all kinds of money you know, at the system to try and pump it up to have the voters happy. Yeah. But I think on a purely cyclical basis, uh, the median experience of the last 110 years would say we're going to 8,200. And I would just say, do you think today's backdrop is only going to result in an average decline? Hmm. Uh, when I look at the credit bubble unfolding and I look at the fiascos going on over in Europe... Uh, I, I have a hard time imagining that it's not going to be substantially below average. Mm-hmm. That's why I think I think we're, we, there's a risk that we will see, you know, something in the 6,500, 7,000 level on the Dow between now and this time next year. Mm. Well, I believe uh, the the low for the Dow was somewhere in that range of 6,400, 6,500 back in March of 2009, if memory serves me correctly. 
So, Ian, what happens, um, God forbid, that we break through the 6,400 level? What's the next stop? Um, well, I won't pick a target, but, you know, historically, there are three times in the last 150 years we've had the gold price and the Dow trade on a one-to-one relationship. Uh, how how you can get the gold price up to 5000 the Dow down to 5000 I can't envision the circumstances other than to say it has had a one-to-one relationship three times in the last 150 years, which is why I would rather own gold than the Dow. Well, I, I would imagine the price we, level at which they'll meet. Yeah, I would imagine that if we get to that level, uh, it might then mark uh, a good turning point for going along on stocks. Uh, you know, it, it, put it this way: if you can trade one ounce of gold and get one unit of the Dow, that's a marvelous trade. No. In, in 1999, you could get 44 ounces of gold for one unit of the Dow. <laughs> that was the other side of the cycle. Yeah. Well, that was certainly greater than it has been at any time in, in the last hundred years or so on the upside. And you would figure that if uh, if the correction has to be uh, something similar in magnitude on the downside. Uh, that we could be in for some pretty rough sledding, I suppose. But yeah, that's why I, I, th- I think we're basically when you look at when you look at the economic scenario and the international picture. That's you know at the moment you've got the U.S. dollar rallying against the euro. Uh, the way I describe that is at the moment the U.S. dollar is winning the beauty contest as to who's the best-looking horse in the glue factory. <laughs> Yeah, but in, in essence, the European situation is is really quite quite unnerving. It's it's almost unimaginable to think that you're looking at the second most important currency on the planet. You know, with something like thirty percent of the international reserves in the global system denominated in euros, and it's conceivable that the euro may get voted out of existence. No, you know, it's just it, it's a mind boggler. Yeah. Then you look at the political leadership that are trying to make all the decisions. You know, this week we had the markets get excited because uh, Mrs. Merkel and uh, Sarkozy got together and said, we have a plan to create a plan. <laughs> well, this is about the 14th plan to create a plan to try and figure out how to, you know, how to delicately explain to the Greeks that they're supposed to pay their debt back in, in euros, not gyros. <laughs> You know, well, it's, uh, it's, it's a scary, it's a really scary fundamental backdrop. And when you look at the leadership, have you got any confidence in the people even making the decisions? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a sad day. It really, it really is. Well, Ian, you talk about a one-to-one relationship um, with uh, gold to the Dow. We've had Robert Prechter on this show, and he's looking for a 600 number on the Dow. That's uh, probably as extreme as you can get. Ian Gordon was on that same show. And Ian talked about a thousand on the do- on the Dow, so he said, "I'm look, I'm bullish compared to you, Robert." <laughs> and you know, but, but the I have thing- a hard time imagining. I have a hard time imagining those numbers. And I tell you, the reason I couldn't get quite to that extreme yeah. is that the proportion of the Dow that are mm-hmm. international companies with very real activities outside of the United States mm-hmm. that one way or the other they are still going to be in business no matter what happens within the United States or within mm-hmm. the U.S. economy or whatever happens to world trade. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it's, you know, it, it's sort of a standing joke now that if you could find a AAA multinational corporation that you would probably prefer to buy their bonds than the supposedly risk-free U.S. Treasury bonds. Yeah, it's, uh, well, that would make a certain amount of sense, wouldn't it? Because, uh, yes, the, the treasuries, uh, the governments can print as much money as possible, uh, as much as they want, infinite amounts, but will, anybody, will there be any takers? The other thing I wonder, Ian, in this whole discussion of inflation and deflation, we have the hyperinflationist. Most of my gold bug friends are on that side of the equation, I would suggest. And, um, you know, I mean, if we were Zimbabwe, then I could see it happening very easily. But, you know, if you could literally take money out of helicopters and spread it out over the country, but we have this thing called a double-entry bookkeeping system, and when you put your money in the bank, there's a corresponding liability. And from what I see, you know, I I like to say that debt is the raw material from which fiat money is created, uh, liability money unlike an asset money like gold or silver. And it seems to me that what we're seeing is, as we talked earlier in the show, debt is growing much, much more rapidly, as you were saying, takes $10 of debt to create $1 of GDP. 
at the worst at the bottom of the last recession. So, you know, it seems to me that uh, it's almost like struggling in quicksand. You want to try to struggle your way out of something, and the more you wiggle, the more you're putting yourself into the, you know, into the hole. Does, does that make sense to you? You know, absolutely, and that's that's one of the reasons why, basically, the standard of living of the what I would call the old guard or the G7 countries, the standard of living that our generation has experienced is unlikely to be seen again for a long time to come. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody is going to have to adjust downwards. Uh, the banks, they're basically trying to avoid any of the banks blowing up. When you look at the what resulted from the last, uh, you know, the, Lehman, the so-called Lehman crisis, you know, people tend to forget that started with the Bear Stearns hedge funds uh, blowing up that uh-huh. led to the end of Bear Stearns and the other entities. Mm-hmm. And you know, we just, you know, yesterday the market celebrated the fact that they're going to bail out this uh, Belgian French bank called Dexia. Uh-huh. You know, and you know, all the bank stocks went up 5% in one day as if somehow or other they've, I guess they've created a new theory I'd never heard of before. It's called the single cockroach theory. Mm. <laughs> you know, when one bank fails, that means you got them all? I don't think so. That, yeah. you know, to me, Dexia is just the beginning of a process. But it's going to, it's, there's an overall contraction that is going to go on. And it's it's going to change. It's going to change the financial climate and the financial markets for quite a few years yet to come. And what scares me is that the mistakes that will compound it haven't even been made yet. You know, in some respects, that's what happened in the 1930s. The the, the Great Depression era was compounded, you know, by the uh, the advent of protectionism and a number. There were a number of legislative acts in the 1930s, supposedly designed to fix the situation that actually compounded it. And I'm afraid we're in a similar situation now. That's when you look at the vacuum of current world leadership, and you just shudder. Because, you know, there's there's no real leadership in any of the major countries at this point, and, you know, these are the people that are going to solve all of our problems. Well, speaking of leadership, there is a, a Republican presidential uh, so-called debate at Dartmouth College uh, this evening. I think it's uh, Bloomberg that's putting it on. Um, you know, I don't know. Do you see any any possibilities there? Well, I I asked a question. Uh, <laughs> you know, they, even though they're they're apparently out of the race at this point, but I was asked about you know as a Canadian, what are your views on the on the Republican race? And my first comment was, it looks to me like the Republican leadership race is being run by the Democrat National Convent- and National Committee. Yeah. Like the, the, the Republicans are doing everything in their power to shoot themselves in the foot. Uh, Perry and Romney seem to be the, the leaders of it. And when you look at them on television, they both look like they just came out of Madame Tussauds Wax Museum. <laughs> you know, that uh, they're all made up. And whenever they open their mouths, you, you cringe. But the, the audience, the, the probably the best response I got from the audience in Vermont was, you know, if if Sarah Palin and Michelle Bachman are the answer, what the hell was the question? <laughs> you know, when you when you look at the leadership, nobody in their right mind will get into it. Yeah. You know, and it's uh, you know, Kane and, and Ron Paul are the only two that make any sense. Uh, whether they're electable or not, I don't know. Well, there was an interesting article I read today in the Washington Post that said it was titled uh, Why Ron Paul is Winning the GOP Race. Mm-hmm. And his theory was not that he was going to be electable. In fact, he said he's not electable. But in fact, he was switching the discussion to Austrian economics, to free market economics. And I've known Ron personally for a number of years. And I, you know, personally believe that the last thing he would want is to be president. He's not a power-hungry guy. He's not interested in that, but he's interested in ideas. And I think in that regard, um, he has been a success, uh, I I would think, uh, in planting the seeds of free market economics because we have gotten so far away from it, in my opinion. Um, You know, everything is Keynesian, and that is, to me, that's communism light. Yep. Well, no, Ron, I've, I've known Ron better than 20 years as well, and he's the only, he's the only honest guy who's completely uncorrupted yeah. in the process, who speaks his mind. Right. You know, the rest of them are all dancing around uh, for the most part. Uh, you know, Romney's in just a classic case. There isn't a position that Romney hasn't stood for and against at one point or another. Mm-hmm. 
that, you know, Ron, no, Ron, there's no question, Ron has elevated the quality of the debate. Mm-hmm. You know, well, in, in some respects, he's been a useful, uh, almost a counterbalance to some of the extremism coming out of the Tea Party crowd. Mm-hmm. But on the other side of the coin, you've got to sympathize with the Tea Party crowd on the one hand, because the political process has become so corrupted by so mm-hmm. much money. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I, I would just uh, observe that Ron Paul, though, has bushy eyebrows, and he doesn't come out of the wax museum. Yeah, uh, no, sort of... no, Ron, Ron's real human flesh. Yeah, and it's interesting because Jeff Deist, who is his chief of staff, is a good friend of mine, and he and his wife uh, spent a weekend here recently, and we were talking about Ron Paul's, uh, you know, how he gets ready for these debates, and Jeff sort of joked about how his makeup artist is his wife, who sort of licks her fingers and, and makes sure his hair isn't standing up. That's about the extent that Ron, Ron Paul prepares himself uh, to, to look good for, de- for debates. I suppose he should do a little better than that. But certainly he is winning the hearts and minds of people. And, Ian, I don't know if you've observed this or not, but how is it this guy is doing extremely well and he doesn't get noticed? If he wins, he won the straw poll in California and nobody reported it. And yet well, Michelle it, Bachman wins Florida and everybody knows about it. What, what's going on here? It's almost, it's almost as though the media is terrified of, the, of Ron's message. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. They, they just, you know, the media refuse to take him seriously. Right, they certainly yeah. do. And they do everything in their power, uh, you know, to, to not mention him at all. Well, there was one, uh, there was one political uh, analyst, a Republican political analyst, and I can't remember what his name was. I saw him on YouTube someplace. Um, I guess it was on a television show and someone picked it up. He was saying that Ron Paul has more depth of support and enthusiasm and a hardcore um, backing than anybody he's ever seen, with the possible exception of Robert Kennedy. Of course, we know what happened to him. Mm-hmm. But um, it's it's just an interesting thing, and I, I plan to watch this debate this evening because, uh, well, I just want to want to see how they try to box him out, essentially. Well, what about Occupy Wall Street? I mean, what about it? Um, and how would you compare them with the Tea Party? Is is the Occupy Wall Street crowd the sort of leftist answer to the Tea Party? I'm not so sure that they're all that leftist. I don't know that they even know what they're out there for. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're, they just know that something is wrong. Uh, I agree with Herman Cain's comment that, you know, rather than picketing the New York Stock Exchange, it's the White House they should be picketing. Yeah. Uh, that, uh, that there's a, but there's a frustration because, in a sense, you know, the clips that you see, for the most part, uh, I would say that a great many of them seem to be, I would, I would categorize more of them as middle class rather than lower class. Yeah. You know, and so, you know, they, the, the, it's, why, why does nobody use that wonderful phrase that Ronald Reagan ran so successfully on? It's, you know, the, the silent majority. Right. You know, the American middle class is the victim. Yeah. You know, well, the, the big middle class doesn't have a squeaky voice, and you know they're not getting any oil on their wheel. Absolutely true. We've had Howard Davidowitz on this show, and he talked about how 80% of the American people are having a tougher time making ends meet, and 20% are doing as well or better, and the top 1% are doing extremely well. And it seems to be the top 1% that's... Uh, that, that has that carries the weight in terms of the propaganda machine that that is run so well held in the U.S. Well, let's talk a little bit about um, about the debt markets. Ian, how long is this bull market in U.S. Treasuries, long dated Treasuries, going to last? Uh, probably sets its peak uh, at some stage when the S and P 500 is down 10 or 15 percent in a very short period of time. Uh huh. Because they still, people still have this, uh, what I would call a knee-jerk reaction, that when in doubt, buy bonds. Yeah. Now, part of the reason for that isn't because they particularly want to buy bonds or that they think U.S. Treasury paper is the ultimate safe instrument, but for leveraged type of traders, they get a lot more margin value. Mm-hmm for a piece of bond, for a bond paper, for bond paper than they do, for example, on a common stock paper. Right. So when, you get a, when you get a sharp sell-off in the market, you sell some stocks to buy bonds to basically try and stave off the margin calls. Mm-hmm. You know, and plus, of course, the liquidity on it. 
But right. when you've got Bernanke basically saying that you're going to have uh, you know essentially free money all the way out to a 10-year period of time, you know, how can you possibly call a U.S. Treasury bond an investment instrument? Yeah, no, that's you know, true. And that's the most powerful, the most powerful supporting argument for gold is for as long as you've got negative returns on paper, why not own gold? And it's, you know, to me, the, the, the thing I will worry about further down the road is when, when natural forces, you know, sellers exceed buyers for U.S. Treasury bonds and interest rates start going up in spite of whatever Bernanke's trying to do. And then you're going to get to a point where there's a real return on paper at some stage. Then that will put pressure on gold. But right yeah. now you've got a Federal Reserve Board that's essentially said you're probably better off owning gold than our paper for at least the next three years. Right. Well, certainly uh, we know what killed the bull market in gold in 1980. It was when Paul Volcker uh, raised interest rates, allowed the you know cut back on the supply of money to the extent that we had my first mortgage was a 17.5% mortgage. That killed the gold market. It was the highest real rates of, of interest, I think somebody said, since the Civil War. Mm-hmm. you see any possibility of that kind of action? I don't see it. Do you, do you think it's possible? I can't envision it right now, but at some stage the crisis will reach that level of magnitude. Yeah. Yeah, but it's, put it this way, it's, it's so far out of reach, um, I, just, I, I couldn't begin to project how, even how we will get there. Ian, we only have about three or four minutes left. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I wanted to get to a couple of other issues. Um, one is that gold, uh, you, you had mentioned before that when we're in a bear market, gold shares tend to bottom out before the S&P 500. Is that right? Yeah, I, I, I would expect to see, for example, when I'm as bearish as I am over the next 12 months on the S&P, I think at some stage we're going to see the gold shares falling with the S&P and then starting to st- starting to hold, even mm-hmm. while the S and P falls a little further, <clears throat> that's the sort of divergence that I'm waiting to see. We've seen little hints of it recently, but uh, not with what I would call the kind of conviction that would make me say this is the great buying opportunity for gold shares. But we're starting to see hints of that kind of, of that kind of relative performance. And one way in which your listeners can track. Uh, the relative behavior, now that we've got all of the, some of these very useful ETF instruments, GDX is the ETF of the major mining companies. Yep. GLD is the price tracker for the gold price. And GDXJ is an index and it's an ETF that's based on 50 you know, global junior gold mining companies. Mm-hmm. And, it, and, and the, other, the fourth one would be SLV, uh, the silver ETF. You can track those four on a comparative basis and and a very simple charting tool in Yahoo where you can look at them, uh, their daily action, their weekly action, the intraday action even, that when you start to see the S&P going down and they're starting to hold, then that will be an indication that it's time to start looking at the shares. The thing that's really struck me recently that's making me a little more bullish on gold in the short term is the GDXJ, the juniors, have absolutely been clocked relative to the major mining company shares. The Uh the major shares have been starting to hold. The GDXJ has really quite badly underperformed. Uh And as the bottom line there in my mind is they're probably closer to finding a better entry point. But I still want to see, to me, I want to buy gold stocks on a day when the S&P is down 2 or 3%. And everybody on CNBC is looking there aghast at the tape, wondering if they're going to have a job the next morning. Yeah, well, that will, uh, that will be uh, an interesting time, no, no doubt about it. Ian, we're almost out of time. I wanted to ask you about another. There is, you are an entrepreneur, not only a market analyst, and you have been involved with a company, uh, a junior mining company. Tell our listeners about that, if you, if you don't mind. Yeah, I, I inherited the presidency of Duncan Park Holdings a couple of years ago. I was a director of the company when the president died, and I subsequently refinanced and refocused the company on essentially a grassroots exploration play that's right in the heart of the Red Lake mining camp, you know, four kilometers south of the Gold Corp's richest mine, in, the richest mine in Canada. We've just completed a 15-drill hole program as part of our earn-in towards it, 
And all I can say at this stage, it's encouraging because I'm in that horrible, frustrating window where we've completed the drill holes, but we haven't got the assays back yet. Yeah, and assays are taking a long time to get back sometimes these days, aren't they? Well, it's been an extremely busy drilling season because there are all kinds of companies active in the Red Lake camp. It's one of the mm-hmm. older mining camps in the country, but there's been tremendous exploration activity up there this summer. So, you know, turning assays around can be very, can be very challenging. But the other thing that I'm doing, because right now, uh, Duncan Park uh, trades in the U.S. in the gray market with the symbol of DCNPF. And I'm in the process now of trying to get that listing upgraded to the new OTCQX, which mm-hmm. enables uh, better visibility and better liquidity on it. Okay. And hopefully within a month or so, uh, we'll finally get the assays in and have a report on our findings. So at the moment, all I can say is that uh, we've had a terrifically interesting drilling season, and uh, we're looking forward with great in- great anticipation to the results. Well, keep us... Uh... Keep us up to date on that, Ian, if you don't mind. Unfortunately, we are out of time. We're going to have to say goodbye uh, for now, but we'll, of course, want to have you on again sometime in the not-too-distant future. Thanks so much, Ian, for being with us. I enjoyed enjoyed being with you, Jay. Always good to have you. Folks, don't go away because we're going to be right back with Dr. Richard Sutcliffe. He's the president and CEO of Ariga Gold Corp., a company with an advanced-stage gold mining project uh, in Manitoba. Don't go away. We'll be right back with Dr. Sutcliffe. up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Merix Gold, with over 800 square kilometers of contiguous permits in West Mali, Africa. Merix and exploration partner IM Gold have spent $16 million on the advanced stage Surabaya Gold Project in Mali. 40,000 meters of diamond and reverse circulation drilling currently underway to expand Merix's indicated resource and to determine the true size of the Surabaya Gold deposit. Exploration also continues on the huge gold anomaly at Zone Bambadinka, as well as the major gold system on the Babara and Kofia permits. Romeo's Gold offers unprecedented opportunities in the final frontier of British Columbia's Golden Triangle, a copper gold rich region with improving infrastructure. Romeo's properties are located in the vicinity of multi billion dollar deposits. With its $6 million plus drilling program underway, Romeo's Gold is focused on developing world class mineral resources in a major upcoming mining district. Rypatch Gold Corp. is an exploration company seeking to build a sizable inventory of gold and silver resource assets in mining-friendly Nevada, the world's fourth richest gold region. This well-funded company now has 1.2 million ounces of gold and gold equivalent in the measured and indicated category, plus 2.7 million ounces of gold and gold equivalent in the inferred category, with ongoing drilling to achieve a goal of 10 million ounces of gold. For more info on RPM, please visit our website at W www.rypatchgold.com Voice America Business Network The bottom line in business Welcome to the human race Some kind of love and I'll be sliding down I'll be gliding down Try not to try to You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. 
That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number 4, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me Dr. Richard Sutcliffe. He's a professional engineer, and he is the president and CEO of Ariga Gold Corp. Dr. Sutcliffe has over 30 years of experience in mineral exploration and mining, including executive management and director uh, positions with North American Palladium and uh, uh, Matamec Explorations, as well as the president and chief executive officer of URSA Major Minerals Incorporated. Dr. Sutcliffe uh, was president and CEO of Patricia Mining, where he contributed to the successful startup of the Island Gold Mine into production. He has held various mining and geological positions with both private and public entities, including the Ontario Geological Survey. I should mention before we uh, in, before we say hello to Dr. Uh, Sutcliffe that uh, Ariga Gold trades on the Toronto Exchange under the symbol AIA. Uh, you can buy it in the U.S. Uh, under the symbol ARGDF. There's 40.6 million shares outstanding, uh, selling at a mere 35 since giving it a market cap of about $14 million. Welcome, Richard, to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Oh, thank you very much, Jay, and looking forward to telling you about Ariga Gold. Yeah, let's hear about it. You, uh, I know that Ariga Gold's project, uh, you have a very advanced stage project, I guess it's in, in Manitoba, uh, in uh, what is known as the Flin Flon uh, Greenstone Belt. Could you just briefly tell our listeners, perhaps in lay terms, why the Greenstone Belt uh, is so prospective? for gold exploration and production. Absolutely, Jay. Um, Ariga Gold uh, was a, a f- company that was focused on advancing gold projects in the uh, in central Canada. We uh, particularly like Manitoba as a jurisdiction for for putting properties into production. Uh, the Flin Flon Greenstone Belt, which we're located on the north boundary of, is a, is a prolific region for mineral deposits. Uh, the biggest deposits known in the area are the uh, the uh, base metal deposits that are mined by uh, Hud Bay, but there's also a long history of gold mining on this uh, in this structure, and uh, the New Britannia mine is uh, is probably the uh, the uh, the best known, the longest uh, longest operating uh, mine in the uh, in the Flin Flon district, and it's produced uh, I think 1.4 million ounces of gold to date. So this is an area with a a pretty significant uh, mining history and uh, future. Okay, you have uh, what is the name of your project? Uh, the the key project, ninety uh, percent of Ariga Gold's effort is the Maverick Gold project. Mm-hmm. Ma- Maverick is a, uh, a sixty, uh, uh, well, it's a, a sixty-six square kilometer area. That's uh, that's a uh, you know a, a good sized property that comprises uh, actually three property packages. The most important part of that is the past-producing Puffy Lake mine. Mm-hmm. Um, we acquired this uh, property from uh, Barrick Gold in uh, actually closed the deal last year. Um, it's a past-producing gold mine that operated in the 88-89 period, shut down then um, due to declining gold prices, and uh, so I wouldn't say it was rushed into production. They didn't do at the time enough uh, development work to really understand the deposit properly. We acquired this uh, last year, and uh, in the current gold price environment, it's just a tremendous opportunity to get back into production. Okay, you're uh, as I I believe you you said you have something like seven hundred and forty thousand ounces in in various categories there. Absolutely. Uh, is this a, uh, what sort of grades are we looking at? Well, we've um, Jay. When we acquired the property, there was a historic resource of uh, just over half a million ounces, and um, it was historic because it predated the forty three one hundred one policy. Uh, we over the last a year have done uh, some confirmation drilling and expansion drilling to uh, to bring that uh, historical resource up to 43101 standards. Um, we've got uh, we we in the process, of course, with the current uh, 
gold prices. There was an opportunity to reduce the uh, cutoff grade. Um, that enabled us to bring the uh, resource up to a total um, total ounces of 740,000. Uh, most of this would be uh, accessible through as an underground uh, mine, um, there is, and that 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 runs a blended grade of six grams per ton. Um, however, we also uh, really like the opportunity to start this off with some near surface pits, and uh, of course, surface mining is, uh, is is less risky than underground. And we have uh, we have forty two thousand ounces at a blended grade of four grams for the surface mining. Well, it's pretty good grade for surface, for sure. Absolutely. And you also have a mill, I believe, a, a thousand ton per day mill in place. Absolutely, that's a key feature of our um, opportunity here. The uh, there's, a, there's a very good mill on the property, a uh, thousand tons per day, and um, it's uh, it is it is intact. We've got some refurbishing doing it to do. It hasn't operated for twenty years, but all the major components are there. All the significant infrastructures in place, uh, and uh, that's that's really uh, Riga's opportunity for a a, a vision here to uh, fast production. And when you talk about fast production, what is your time uh, your time scale? Well, my my vision we're just um, we've just having recently completed that forty three one hundred one uh, resource estimate and had had some good results on that. We're now uh, turning around and putting uh, a. a, a preliminary economic analysis together, a PEA, and uh, that will provide the, uh, the, the time frame for this. But my vision is to have it uh, pouring gold in the next 12 months. And when do you expect your PEA to be finished? Uh, we'll, have, mm. we'll have that uh, announced this month That's mm. by the end of October. Well, we'll certainly look to... So that's a, that's a very near-term value driver. Look forward to that, uh, because as I look at a $14 million market cap with 740,000 ounces... Uh, which leads me to ask you, what are the, what are the possibilities of increasing uh, that resource? Well, that's you know, the, the, they're they're great. Um, we're uh, we're located, as I said, the start here at the north edge of the Flinflon Belt. Uh, mm-hmm. We've got 20 kilometers of strike length of the major gold mineralizing structure. You know, the current resource is only a part of that. We've got numerous showings on strike and. We will, as well as the uh, this fast track to production, we've got a pretty aggressive exploration program to expand the uh, resource, and uh, we see excellent opportunity for a significant upside on that. I think I saw somewhere that you're looking to produce something on the order of 40,000 ounces to start with. That's not a large production. Um, that's not a large amount of production for a company. Sometimes the economics improve. Uh, when you can scale up, you've got a thousand ton per day mill. Um, is there uh, is there a chance of scaling up? Let's say that you find substantially more ore uh, that could be fed into this mill. Uh, how difficult would it be to scale up the mill and something larger? Um, well, we've got with a thousand ton per day mill, we've got uh, you know an excellent opportunity to uh, expand that uh, production profile. That forty thousand ounces per annum that we're we're targeting for the initial phase is mm-hmm. uh, is really based on the initial surface mining, the grade there, four grams per ton. As we go underground, we'll be looking at higher grade, and right off the, uh, you know, right as soon as we get into that underground, we'll be uh, we'll be looking at scaling up the ounces uh, to the uh, the full capacity. Then you know we'll be looking at the regional opportunities um, to uh, to bring those into the uh, the Puffy Lake Mill, and uh, you know of course. Uh, as soon as we've got the uh, the wherewithal to potentially expand the mill and add additional capacity, we'll be looking at that too. But the initial uh, step forward will, uh, from 40,000 upward, will go once we move to higher grade underground ore. Mm-hmm. I know that you indicated when we first started talking that 90% of your attention is going into this production facility, this uh, this mine right now, the Puffy Lake facility. You do have some other uh, prospects as well, I believe, in Manitoba. Do you not? Yeah, absolutely. There's two other properties, Jay. Um, mm-hmm. We've uh, all, all kind of focused in this uh, strategic uh, mining area of, of central Manitoba and actually into Saskatchewan. Um, we've got a, um, a property that we called uh, the uh, Mokaman uh, Copper Gold property that's also in the Flinflong Greenstone Belt. It's actually just across the Saskatchewan border from uh, from uh, Maverick. The um, that has uh, 
again, pre-43-101, but 6 million tons of uh, 1% copper equivalent, open pitable, some significant upside there. And then we've got a really interesting exploration property uh, in northeastern Manitoba uh, in the uh, what's called a Fox River area, and that's, a, uh, that's primarily a PGM property, but it's in a... Uh, it's a we've got a belt scale property package that's kind of the link between uh, Raglan and Thompson, two major nickel uh, precious metal or mining camps. Mm-hmm. And so uh, you know those are those are opportunities that uh, you know we'll we'll have some activity on. We'll be looking to add value. Um, you know, but but really the uh, I think the, the the real focus and the upside at uh, Ariga Gold will be driven by the Maverick property and the. Uh, next uh, next couple of years yeah well for sure i mean i just i'm just looking at this is i'm staring at this 14 million dollar market cap and 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 wondering why uh, with a project like that uh it certainly seems uh, of course what we'd really like to know is what those pea numbers are going to be uh you know what your capex might be what your operating costs might be and i know uh you don't really know a lot of times until you get into production and uh, even the best of uh, bankable feasibility studies, a lot of times, uh, you know, you discover things after you're in production that you didn't think of or, or, or you might not have quite figured it out until you're in production, so you never really know. But uh, I, I don't know to what extent you could give our listeners some sense of what maybe a wide range of what yeah. the economics might look like on this project. Well, you're absolutely correct, Jay, and I mean, <clears throat> with, even with feasibilities. Sometimes there's some uncertainties, but you know we do have the advantage with this uh, property of the fact that uh, it was pr- previously in production, so we know what uh, some of the history looked like at that time. So that you know that takes out some of the unknown, and uh, our capital to uh, put this into production is going to be much much less than most situations because we do have the you know a lot of the major uh, expenditures, the the mill and the ramp to the underground deposit, those are sunk cost to the previous operators, and uh, so. We we're, you know, ballpark numbers at this point. Uh, you know, we're targeting in the fifteen to twenty million dollar range for uh, capital to put it back into production, and with uh, four gram surface material, open pit. Um, I think that uh, you know we we're certainly anticipating uh, cost per ounce uh, being uh, you know under seven hundred and fifty dollars an ounce. Well, unfortunately, that's all the time we have. This certainly does look like um, an interesting story with $750 per ounce cost, uh, possibly in that range with $1,600 gold. It certainly does look appealing. I want to thank you very much for talking to us, uh, Dr. Sutcliffe, and look forward to having you back again sometime in the not-too-distant future. That's great, Jay. We look forward to doing it, and I'm sure when we uh, speak to you again, we'll have some uh, pretty significant updates to give you on uh, on our uh, our progress and some of those parameters for uh, producing ounces at uh, Maverick Gold. That's what we really like to see, so we can get a sense of what the value is relative to the current minuscule price. Thank you very much. Folks, don't go away. I'm going to be right back after the commercial break with some final thoughts on today's show. Don't go Thanks, away. Jay. Thank you. America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Legend Gold Corp. is a gold exploration company with flagship projects in Mali, West Africa. With successful drilling programs and new discoveries this year, we are in an excellent position to advance our two gold deposits. Shareholder value is anchored at Chikamala by a 43-101 compliant resource of approximately 600,000 ounces of gold. The recent addition of the Munina project offers the potential for a third gold strike. Legend Gold trades under the symbol LGN on the TSX Venture Exchange. Please go to our website at www. Legendgold.com. Merix Gold, with over 800 square kilometers of contiguous permits in West Mali, Africa. Merix and exploration partner IM Gold have spent $16 million on the advanced stage Surabaya Gold Project in Mali. 40,000 meters of diamond and reverse circulation drilling currently underway to expand Merix's indicated resource and to determine the true size of the Surabaya Gold deposit. Exploration also continues on the huge gold anomaly at Zone Bambadinka, as well as the major gold system on the Babara and Kofia permits. 
Northwest Quebec is one of the world's friendliest and most prolific areas for mining and exploration. One of the rising stars in this incredible region is Visible Gold Mines. From the exciting Wasimak area to Jutel, Visible Gold Mines is drilling nonstop in pursuit of the next important gold discovery in Northwest Quebec. Visible Gold Mines has the focus, experience, commitment, and resources necessary to rapidly emerge as a leader in the vibrant Quebec gold sector. Check out VisibleGoldMines.com, VGD, on the TSX Venture Exchange. Rypatch Gold Corp. is an exploration company seeking to build a sizable inventory of gold and silver resource assets in mining-friendly Nevada, the world's fourth richest gold region. This well-funded company now has 1.2 million ounces of gold and gold equivalent in the measured and indicated category, plus 2.7 million ounces of gold and gold equivalent in the inferred category, with ongoing drilling to achieve a goal of 10 million ounces of gold. For more info on RPM, please visit our website at w www.rypatchgold.com Voice America Business Network The bottom line in business Welcome to the human race Some kind of love and ride I'll be sliding down I'll be gliding down Try not to try to You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor. Well, you heard from Ariga, uh, a story that I think is, is certainly worth listening to, uh, one worth checking out. And, of course, once we know more about the economics, we'll have a better idea about what the upside potential is. But if you're looking at a company with a $14 million market cap, a mill in place, um, <clears throat> 740,000 ounces, uh, economically viable, a management team that's done it before on small-scale projects with lots of exploration potential, I would suggest that Ariga is probably a speculation that's worth putting at least a little money into. Of course, all of these companies are high-risk, high-return endeavors. Uh, it is not uncommon to get five or ten times your money, uh, your investment in this business, but it's also not uncommon uh, to sit with your money tied up for a long, protracted periods of time, uh, and sometimes it's easy to become quite impatient. Well, uh, an example, though, of how you are rewarded when things work out uh, on the upside came today with one of our sponsors, and that is RX Gold Corp. RX rose 54% today uh, on news of a an acquisition by B2 Gold. Uh, they've arranged to acquire RX Gold uh, for cash and for shares. And we did talk to Tim Searcy a few weeks ago about uh, his company's prospects. RX Gold, um, with 161 million shares outstanding, um, it, um, it, you know, it's, uh, we're going to see more of these consolidations. And these little companies that have something real in the ground that the market does not recognize, well, uh, you know, the market, sooner or later the market will recognize value. And this is what, uh, you know, I think Ian uh, McAvity was saying for sure. Uh, and, and actually, this is looking at it on the bright side, if you do not yet have uh, a good, reasonable allocation of your portfolio in gold shares, this provides you the opportunity to buy gold shares. Of course, you know, human nature being what it is, we like to sort of buy things when everybody else is buying them. And the more people buy them, the more we want them. And that's uh, a lot of times a mistake. Chasing stocks is a mistake. Chen Lin, on the other hand, is a value investor. And he's sitting with an oil company like Mart that is selling at one times next year's cash flow. The market doesn't seem to like it. Uh, but Chen, with the uh, courage of his conviction, is sitting there as a value investor. Sooner or later, the value will rise to the top, and, and uh, shareholders will be richly rewarded. Just mentioning a couple of other sponsors, uh, some headlines that came out in the last few days. Legend Gold Corp. Uh, closed a key gold property acquisition in the Republic of Mali, West Africa. We talked to Legend Gold last week. I was very impressed with that company and its story. Uh, Romeo's Gold announced this past week 
uh, actually a couple of weeks ago, that they drilled 22.1 meters uh, at uh, 1.25% copper on its Trek property, very significant uh, drill hole. And Rye Patch, it's certainly one of my favorites. Rye Patch, which is also a sponsor on this show, uh, reported 34.79 grams of gold, <clears throat> 779 grams of uh, silver in an assay that they reported. This is a company already with 3.9 million ounces of gold. Uh, they're shooting for a target of 10 million ounces of gold in Nevada uh, to supply the big guys who are going to have to pay uh, pay a lot of money to get these ounces in the ground. Uh, and that's one of the reasons that Ian McAvity and I both agree that it's probably not the best place to put your money in the senior mining companies, but their uh, earnings are growing very rapidly. They're going to have to come down and buy the uh, the rye patches of this world uh, well, rye patch at 3.9 million ounces, perhaps not yet, but they are in a very aggressive drill program. Uh, they've got uh, a lot of money in the bank uh, at this point in time, uh, and a market cap of around $48 million. I think uh, certainly a rye patch is one that looks very, very good. Nevada infrastructure, not all ounces are the same, are created equally in the ground. If you're in the middle of Nevada where there's plenty of infrastructure and plenty of big mining companies that need the ounces, uh, that's preferable to be in somewhere like the Arctic Circle where there's no infrastructure. So uh, just a lot of good things happening in this sector. This is the bull market of a lifetime from what I can see, the junior gold mining sector. Uh, and many of the companies that we have on this show are doing very, very well. Even if it hasn't shown up in their share prices yet, that gives you a chance to uh, to get in. Well, that's all the time we have for this week. I want to thank you for listening, making this the number one show on the Voice America uh, business channel. I want to thank our sponsors, and I should say that next week my guest, uh, one of our guests at least, is going to be Bill Tehan. He's a longtime deflationist thinker along the lines of a Robert Prechter, Ian Gordon, Bob Hoy, and some of those folks. In closing, I want to thank the staff at Voice America, starting with Tacey Trump, my executive producer, and Justin Jackman, my engineer, for making this show logistically possible. Again, thanks to each of you for listening. Until next week, goodbye, and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Now the thing about time is that time is in-